Well, good morning. Good morning. It's a live audience. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> what a blessing it is to be able to hear that. The last few weeks, I've been coming over here by myself. And I've been sitting in one of the pews and just delivering a message that way by Facebook and, and those are on YouTube as well. But uh, it's nice to be able to, to gather in the assembly once again. Psalm 122. These are the words of David. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together. To which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord. And an ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For their thrones were set for judgment. The thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The circumstances for David's writing are, are much different than what ours are, but the sentiment is the same. It is a wonderful privilege. And maybe one that we realize more so now than ever, to be able to assemble with the people of God. Before we begin our sermon, if you don't mind, let's pray. Our holy and righteous Heavenly Father, we are, are thankful for the opportunity, the privilege that we have been given to be able to assemble today. Over the last few weeks, we have been unable to be together, and, and we pray, Father, that, that, that our, our hearts would grow stronger would grow closer to one another, that you would help us to, to realize what a blessing it is each Lord's Day to be able to assemble. We pray, Father, that you would help us to, to serve you today in the way that you would have us to help us to be pleasing in your sight, to honor your name as never before. And we pray, Father, that you would Help us to grow closer to you. Especially in these times of difficulty, there's so much unrest in our world. And, and we pray, Father, that you would help us to, to find peace once again. Help us to find peace with those around us, with family members, but especially peace with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are thankful for, for this day. We are thankful for this opportunity. We pray that you would bless us as we carry on through um, the rest of our day. Help us to be safe. We pray, Father, that you would help us to, to remain faithful to you. We are thankful for your Son. It is through Him that we humbly pray. Amen. Our lesson for today... We are going back to the series that, that we had begun uh, months ago now. Uh, we had begun a series on Ezekiel. Lessons learned from the prophet Ezekiel. 
And basically what we're doing is, is just going through the book of Ezekiel, not, not an in-depth study by any means, but picking out certain things that we can learn and uh, applying them in sermon form. Today's lesson comes from Ezekiel chapter 18. And we'll get to, to that in a moment. This is actually a lesson that was requested by Miss Nancy. She had said something to me when I began the series about this lesson. So we'll, we'll find a way to share that with her later on. Uh, but today's lesson, the just and righteous judge. How do you see God? Obviously we don't see Him with our eyes. But how do you see God? Now many see God for who they want Him to be rather than who He is. Sometimes whenever we, we try to get an idea of who God is, we can open up the, the Scriptures obviously and we read from the Bible and if we, we truly understand what the Bible says about God, then we have a, a good understanding of who God is. But there are a lot of people who choose not to open their Bible or not to really study in order to understand who God is. Maybe they take someone's word for it. Maybe they listen to their preacher more so than anything else. Maybe they listen to a, a family member or, or a friend or someone of that nature uh, to find out who God is. Maybe they just simply take a, a basic knowledge from, from what they've gathered from Sunday school or, or something of that nature, but many have the wrong view of God, that they don't really know who He is. They see Him for who they want Him to be rather than, than who He truly is. Some see God as a grantor of gifts, almost like Santa Claus. Do they not? Some see God as a business partner, the one who grants prosperity and good favor. And He does. Whenever we do go through something good, then yes, God is oftentimes behind that. And sometimes He is given the proper credit. Some see God as a caregiver, a grantor of good health. Some see God as a bodyguard providing protection from the forces of evil. And some see God as the grandfather, the one who pampers and spoils his children, providing for their wants and desires. God does most of these things that are listed here but that doesn't tell us who God is. Not totally. Not completely. In many ways, that God is viewed, in the many ways that God is viewed by various people of various backgrounds, rarely is He seen as a judge. And yet, He is just that. Ezekiel tells us in chapter 18 what kind of a judge God is. You see, He is not a blind judge that does not see when wrong is done. He is not a judge that will overlook wrongs, sentencing, or punishment. 
God is a just and righteous judge. He judges our deeds. Knowing all of our wrongs against Him, He does not judge us based on the deeds of others. Siblings, aunts and uncles, spouses, or children. But He judges us based on our deeds. What we have done. Right or wrong, that is what we are judged on. And He always judges based on knowledge of the truth of every matter. Unlike the judges that we have in our world today, there are many judges that we have that uh, whenever we, we recognize how they judge, they don't have a knowledge of the truth. And just like a jury would, they have to determine the truth by the evidence that is presented by the prosecution and by the defense. But God is a just and righteous judge in that He knows all. He sees all. He knows the truth. You can't lie to God. And His judgments are always fitting and final. I'll give you two lesson objectives for today. To learn more about the aspect of God that few want to admit actually exists. And to learn what is required of us as the judged. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 18. Most of our time today will be spent in this chapter. Ezekiel chapter 18. We begin with a proverb, the proverb of the people, as it is found in chapter 18 and verse 2. What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, the children's teeth become dull because of the, the sour grapes eaten by the fathers. The same proverb is addressed in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 29. And in much way and in much the same way as it is in Ezekiel. But the basic meaning of this proverb, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge is that the fathers have sinned and the children are smitten. That's the basic meaning. That the fathers have sinned and the children are smitten. The tribes of Judah and Benjamin believed they suffered for the sins of Manasseh and the other ten tribes for the sins of Jeroboam. Basically, they were taking what was happening to them in regards to uh, going into captivity and, and the punishment that they received, they were blaming it on someone else. Does that ever happen today? Surely not. But it does. Most of the time, whenever something happens, even... We as Christians, sometimes we are the guilty party on this. Sometimes we are the ones that place the blame 
on someone else. It, maybe it's human nature, but we try to, to relinquish ourselves of any guilt. We try to justify something that we've done. And that's exactly what they did. Our fathers were the ones that sinned against God or, or whoever, and, and that's why we're punished. We're not punished because of what we have done, but because of what our fathers have done. And they viewed themselves as innocent, unable to recognize, or unwilling to admit their own sins against God. By passing off the blame to previous generations, they saw themselves as innocent. For God to judge the innocent based on the deeds of past generations, that would be wrong. If He were to completely base His judgment on a nation because of the sins of their father. Yeah, I would see a problem with that. They believed God to be an unjust judge. But that's not who God is. And that's not the kind of judge that He is. He wasn't condemning them just for the sins of their fathers, but for their own sins as well. They had sinned against God, and they were being punishment, or punished for what they had done, not just what their fathers had done. And God answers their accusations against him. There are three generations that are given. Three generations that are described in Ezekiel chapter 18. And we're going to look at each of those individually. We begin with verse 4 of Ezekiel 18. And generation number 1. A righteous man. Generation number one, a righteous man. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. But if a man is just and does what is lawful and right, if he has not eaten on the mountains, nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, nor approached a woman during her impurity, if he has not oppressed anyone, but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has robbed no one by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry, and covered the naked with clothing, if he has not exacted usury, nor taken any increase, but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity and executed true judgment between man and man. If he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. In other words, he who fulfills the law and will of God will not be punished for sins he has not committed. God is in control of all. And all souls belong to Him. God is a righteous judge, only exacting punishment 
upon those who have sinned against Him. As it says in verse 4, one who has lived an upright life, one that has kept himself from impurity, one that has honored uh, all kinds of, of, of financial, anything financially, if he has been honorable in those things and has not taken what does not belong to him, if he has walked faithfully in the counsel of God, he is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. There is another generation that is described in Ezekiel chapter 18. Beginning with verse 10, we have generation number 2 a thief. Generation number 2 a thief. Ezekiel 18 and verse 10, if he begets a son who is a robber or a shedder of blood, who does any of these things and does none of those duties but has eaten on the mountains or defiled his neighbor's wife if he has oppressed the poor and needy robbed by violence not restored the pledge lifted his eyes to the idols or committed abomination if he has exacted usury or taken increase shall he then live? He shall not live if he has done any of these abominations, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. And there are other ways that, that this man may be described. A thief, a murderer. There are several things that are listed here. But in other words, generation number two is, is not faithful. He is not righteous before God. In almost every way in his life, generation number two has been unrighteous. In his treatment of others, he is not honorable before God. If he has done any of these abominations, even just one, Without repentance, he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. He is judged for the way that he has lived and his own unrighteousness. There is one more generation that is described in Ezekiel chapter 18. Generation number three one who considers the sins of his father but keeps himself righteous. He considers the sins of his father and remains righteous. Begin in Ezekiel 18 and verse 14. Ezekiel 18 and verse 14. If, however, he generation number two begets a son who sees all the sins which his father has done and considers but does not do likewise who has not eaten on the mountains nor lifted his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel nor defiled his neighbor's wife 
has not oppressed anyone, nor withheld a pledge, nor robbed by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing, who has withdrawn his hand from the poor and not received usury or increase, but has executed my judgments and walked in my statutes, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father, he shall surely live. Some of this, uh, especially in the middle of those verses, uh, sounds a lot like what is said in Matthew 25, doesn't it, by Jesus? But basically, he sees the sins of his father. And, and I believe, I know that this is, is, is kind of a hypothetical scenario. But I believe that, that he also sees the righteousness of his grandfather. Not just the sins of his father before him, but he would know of the righteousness of his grandfather. Even in the case that, that he may not know his grandfather, I'm sure he hears of the good person that he was. And he considers not just the sins of his father, but he also considers the righteousness of his grandfather. And if he does not continue in the sins of his father, but keeps himself righteous before God, then he is not judged based on the sins of his father. Neither is his father judged based on the good deeds of the son. But he will be judged based on his deeds. has executed my judgments and walked in my statutes. He shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. Now, as for his unrighteous father, look at verse 18. As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed robbed his brother by violence and did what is not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. He is judged for his own unrighteousness. We are not held accountable for sins that do not belong to us. Verse 20. The soul whose sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. This line of teaching is also repeated in the New Testament as well. In Romans chapter 14 beginning with verse 12. Romans 14 and verse 12. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. The wicked may turn away from his sins. Look at Ezekiel 18 beginning with verse 21. Ezekiel 18 in verse 21, But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes, and does what is lawful and right, 
he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Do I have pleasure, or do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Verse 28 because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Does God take pleasure in the death of the wicked? I remember this thought being addressed years ago when Osama bin Laden was killed. And there were a lot of people that rejoiced. There were a lot of people that were very happy that he was dead. And I remember that there was a preacher that, that wrote an article, at least one, that I read about the idea that God would be pleased with the death of the wicked. God would much rather someone who is evil live if it grants him an opportunity to repent and if he chooses to repent God would much rather the wicked repent than for them to be destroyed and maybe that's more so the attitude that we should have as Christians we should desire their repentance more so than their death and punishment there's a time for justice. There's also a time for repentance. The righteous, the righteous may turn away from righteousness to sin as well. Yes, the wicked may turn away from his sins and repent, but we also must recognize that the righteous may turn away from his righteousness to sin. Look at verses 24 and 26 of Ezekiel 18. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed because of them he shall die. Verse 26, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. The wicked can turn away from their wickedness. They can turn to God and they can become righteous. They can repent. They can do what is necessary for them to be in Christ, so to speak. But it also may be that those in Christ can turn away from their righteousness. Have members fallen away from the church? Oh, absolutely. Has it been the case that some have left the church and, and returned into the world? Oh, absolutely. It's not our desire. It is by their choice 
But it is possible for someone who is righteous to turn away from God. It's an Old Testament principle and it's also something that is taught in the New Testament and something that is true even today. Israel had accused God of being a less than fair judge over them. They accused God of being a less than fair judge. They thought that they were being punished for the sins of their fathers before them. And maybe that was an encouragement for them to continue in their own sins. But they contended that they were being punished. They were being treated unfairly by God. However, their punishment and oppression were a direct result of their own sins. It was something that that the people of Israel had continued in for many years. From generation to generation even. But they were being punished for their own sins, not just the sins of their fathers. They failed in their obedience to God, who in turn asked them to repent. Look at verses 30 through 32. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore turn and live. Therefore turn and live. Even today, God wishes that we turn from our iniquity. Look at what is said in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't desire that we, we die in our sins, that we be punished for our sins. Although if we have sinned against Him and we fail to repent, we fail to, to turn back to Him. then that's exactly what's happening. That's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to return one day. The earth will be destroyed. But God desires that we make the proper preparations for our eternity, for judgment, so that we be not found guilty in that day. Now, there is a sense in which we, we will sin against God. But we have the opportunity that we can be obedient to Him. That we can repent, we can turn away from our sins. And be found faithful in His sight because of the blood of, of Jesus. But we will be held accountable if we remain in our sins, if we, we fail to do those things that we've been told in Scripture that we need to do, 
if we fail to be found faithful, then it is deserving on our part. God will not hold us accountable for the sins of others. We're not going to be held accountable for the sins of our parents, the sins of our spouses, the sins of friends or other family members. We're not going to be held accountable for anyone else. But we will be held accountable for us, for me. I will be held accountable for me and what I have done in this life. Many, even today, still try to pass the blame for their sins to someone else and may believe their sufferings to be for the sins of past generations. And while we may suffer consequences as a result of others, God will not punish us in this life or the life to come for sins that are not our own. And we do face consequences. For instance, a drunk driver hits someone and maybe they're paralyzed for the rest of their life. Maybe they're even killed. That is a consequence of someone else's sin. But they're not being punished for someone else's sin. It's not a punishment that God gives. And sometimes, as we looked at in time past, it can be used as a blessing. It can be, be used as something useful in the kingdom of God to help other people. We may suffer consequences as the result of others' sins, but it is not punishment. We should not charge that to God as, as punishing us unfairly. However, if we turn away from God or fail in our obedience and submission to Him, we will be fairly judged, unfaithful, and will not be allowed to enter into his eternal rest. Ultimately, something that we learn from all of this is that there are two paths that are laid before us. And we are to choose which path to follow. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. There are two paths. One by the narrow gate and the difficult way which leads to life. One is a wide gate and a broad way that leads to destruction. Unfortunately, we are told that there are only few who are going to choose the correct path, the path that leads to eternal life. It's not because that's the way that God intends it to be, but it's because of the choices that others will make they will choose the wrong path. Jesus tells us which path to choose. But we are given the choice of whether or not to take the path that God has laid out for us. We are given choice in our own salvation and we are judged 
based on our choices. You have an opportunity to choose your path. The question is, which path will you choose? Will you choose the path that leads to righteousness? That leads to salvation? That leads to justification? The path of Christ. By faith, confessing that faith in Christ, repenting, and being baptized for the remission of your sins. Maybe it is that you've turned away from God. Maybe now you need to choose the path of repentance. Maybe you need to, to turn away from your wrongs. Maybe you need help in that area. Maybe you need prayer. I encourage you though not to choose the easy way because the easy way is not the best way. I leave you with the question, which path will you choose? Choose wisely. Make your choice today. Together we stand and as we sing.